and welcome to another episode of The Extras. In fact, this will be our last episode in the Gospel of Matthew where we've been spending our time what a, for a little while. We've had a great time. Hi everyone, I'm Sam. Welcome Sam. Thanks for being with us. My name's Lachlan. Uh, Sam, we've been in Matthew for quite a stretch now. We had yeah. a little gap in between, but yep. since the middle of the year, we've been working through yes. Matthew's Gospel. Uh, you took us for the final week to the last chunk of Matthew 25, I the did. end of Jesus' speech. Yep. Um, give us a brief rundown of what yeah. we saw. Yeah, so we come to the end of this big, long, what they call a discourse, a, a speech, um, where he is spending some of his final moments with, with the 12 disciples. He's got eternity on the brain, and uh, mm. he's, he's well aware of what's about to happen. Um, he's about to go, go and die on the cross. Uh, rise again and the the big question is about the things of the end how it will all go down when jesus having died and risen in glory then returns what will that be like for two chapters jesus has been talking about this and he comes at the very end of this long discourse to speak about the actual final moment which is a moment of judgment Um, he uses the image of the sheep and the goats a separation between two groups and says that's going to happen when the son of man in his glory comes to judge and uh, people are going to be separated in one mm. of two categories. You're going to be in one or the other. I'm going to be in one or the other. And it really matters. It's an eternal judgment either for eternal life or eternal punishment. And then there's this funny little rationale as to uh, caring and loving Jesus in the midst mm. of all of that, which kind yeah. of feels like it's a bit of a shock. And people um, have wrestled over the last little while about what it means. Uh, we were looking on Sunday at the fact that it's, sharing out really the fruit of um, of salvation, which having been saved, having been blessed by the Father, verse 34, and receiving a kingdom, um, the Christian now loves Jesus expressed through loving others. Mm. Um, they, they, as they are just naturally just flowing out of them because of God's love for them, they love other people, they care for them, they look after their needs, and so love Jesus. That seems to be the the, the of the passage yeah nice and i've had lots of conversations with people that found this a really helpful passage a really helpful sermon sam Uh, it's been wonderful to hear that i really enjoyed this on sunday afternoon we had some baptisms there as well it was a great celebration wasn't it great of people that you know because of christ can now look at this judgment without fear Mm. uh, but look ahead to life beyond it was a wonderful party there at afternoon church i hear the party at night church it was cool they were two fantastic services what a privilege back to back to have those times uh, now in the midst of all of that, some questions came through as always, and we love hearing those questions. We love taking time to keep wrestling with God's word. Yeah, we had a few just on the nature of judgment, or I guess some of the order of judgment here. Yep. People comparing scripture with scripture. Yep. Someone's asked, "Is this the same judgment in Matthew twenty-five that we read about in Revelation 20? Yes. Uh, and I think that question is coming from them. They go on to say Matthew twenty-five seems only to refer to the nations. So mm. is this some um, judgment just about gentiles or is this kind of the judgment for everyone jew and gentile mm. together so one judgment two judgments yeah um okay great so matthew 25 verse 32 is the key verse to be thinking through and the way jesus phrases is he says all the nations now the, the greek word for nations is is this little word ethne which sometimes we translate nations sometimes we translate gentile gentiles but here the fact that jesus says all the nations um i think it means literally all of them, um, Gentile ones, Jewish ones, they're all nations. Uh, mm-hmm. They're all going to be gathered together. And I think that's the view that everyone will separate, will stand before um, 
will stand before the risen Lord Jesus, not just the Gentiles, but the Jews and the Gentiles, uh, I, I think. And that makes sense that Jesus here is speaking to his Jewish disciples. He's telling them what's going to happen, but it's not just limited to Jews. It goes to all the nations, as it is in, in Revelation 20. Uh, I think it is, uh, in that sense, the, the dead, kind of generically, that is mm. all humanity will, will, will rise and stand with those who are still alive at the return of Jesus and together be face their judgment again it's this all-inclusive no exceptions nobody escapes this moment um so i think they're sort of singing from the same songbook if you like yeah. saying the same thing everyone's part of this judgment yeah this is kind of the singular final judgment the, correct the d-day the moment that it all happens that's right that's right now thinking about that judgment day someone's asked uh and there's a lot that we could dig into here. Yep. Is Jesus the one that's judging on that day or is mm. that God the Father? Mm. And are we being saved from Jesus's wrath or God the Father's wrath? Yep. Who's the judge? <laughs> yeah, great what are question. We, who's, who's executing the condemnation or judgment, I guess, as yeah. well? Um, these are these are really great questions to be thinking through. Um, according to verse 31, so 2531, if you want to have a look at that, um, it's the Son of Man comes... And, and you notice in 31, he sits on, the, on his glorious throne. Now, that image of a throne, that already gets the image of the place of judgment in, in, in mind. So mm. there, it's the Son of Man. Now, Jesus has really adopted that term for himself to say he is, he is the Son of Man. He is that one. That's a, a very loaded term. It's got all kinds of Old Testament uh, kind of baggage coming with it. Um, but Jesus is the Son of Man. And so according to verse 31, it seems that Jesus is going to judge. Mm. Um, here's an interesting reference for you. Acts 17.31. You might want to have a look at that. Acts 17.31. And what you read there is, this is um, Paul preaching in Gentile territory in Athens. And he, and he speaks of the coming judgment. And he says that he, the Father, has set a day when he, the Father, will judge the world with justice. So it sounds like God, the Father, now is going to be the one who judges. Uh, he's going to judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He, God the Father, has given proof to this to everyone by raising him, Jesus, from the dead. So there is a, a little lovely Trinitarian verse, if you like. That is that um, God, in, in the Christian way of thinking, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, God the Father, who, who's going to judge? Yeah, well, Acts 17.31 says it's God the Father. He's going to do it. How's he going to do it? Through the man he has appointed, which is God the Son, or in Matthew 25's language, the Son of Man, Jesus. Uh, and he's given proof that he's going to do it that way by raising that man from the dead. So in his resurrected glory, um, in, uh, as, as the kind of Son of Man, Jesus will carry out the Father's judgment. Mm. Um, so that's that, the Father and the Son are actually kind of pulling in the same direction on this. Um, it's, it's the Father judging through his Son. Um, and often, you know, we see all kinds of stuff happening in a Trinitarian kind of way, don't we? We have God, the Father, creating through his Son, through the, the breath of his word, the Holy Spirit. You know, they, they kind of work mm. together, pulling mm. for the same intent. Um, yeah, so we, that, that's something we've got to just kind of keep in mind. Um, who's going to judge? God the Father, yes, through God the Son. Mm. Yeah. And there's something I, I've been reading some Ezekiel again in my personal reading. and. Nice. You get some of the messianic promise there, yeah, and that's probably tied up, I think, in mm. this being God the Son 
as human. Yes. Uh, the the, the yep. human judge, the messianic judge, yeah. who turns out, as we get to Jesus, to be God himself as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, but some of that Old Testament prophetic stuff is talking about, you know, Ezekiel 34, David will come and be the king who will judge and bring about this perfect justice. Mm, mm. So it's God through his king, you think of Psalm 2, I've, I've put my king on Zion. On Zion, my holy hill. Now we know now that that's fulfilled in Christ. And yeah. that he turns out to be that messianic son of David king. Mm. So it's, it's the human son yes. of God. Jesus, yeah. the God Man, yes, uh, as the one who will judge humanity. So, so if, if the question is, is it going to be the Father or the Son or um, a human King who's going to judge? Yes, is the answer. <laughs> um, it's going to be Jesus uh, expressing the Father's judgment. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Now, there's some more questions that came through with that one that press into some more of the Trinitarian stuff, but we might park it there. And okay. if you want to talk some more about the nature of the Trinity and the nature of mm. atonement and salvation, uh, do come and find us. But we'll, Try to stay a bit within Matthew 25 here. Mm-hmm. Um, on this theme of judgment, so there's a final judgment to come. Yep. We've been hearing and reading about that. Mm. If we die now, yep. do we go to some place where we wait for that final judgment? Do we just go straight to that final judgment? Mm. The way the questions come through, do we go to the same place when we die as when Jesus comes back for the second time? Yeah. Or is there a difference? Yep. Great, great question. Um there's a couple of different views that Christians have taken um, on this question. One is uh, a kind of like some kind of time warp thing. You know, you, you, you step outside of time or some, sometimes it's called soul sleep. You kind of blink and mm. uh, your soul goes to sleep from it. And you wake up and uh, you're at resurrection day along with everybody else. Mm. Um, and so from your perspective, you do go to be straight with Jesus, but it's straight to resurrection day. Mm. Um, that's one way to think about it. I'm not, I'm less convinced by that. Um, uh, the other option, um, there's, there's a couple of other options, but let, let me just give you two for now. Um, the one I'm more compelled by, with, which is to say, when we die, we do go to be with Jesus, um, but we are not yet clothed with our resurrected body. Mm. Um, there, there seems to be some time in between there. Mm. We're in a, in a state where, whereby we don't yet have our resurrected body and we'll actually long to be clothed with our resurrected mm. body, but we are still with Jesus. Um, so a few few passages point me in that direction. Um, Jesus says to the thief on the cross, today mm. you will be with me in paradise, not blink and wake up in a couple of thousand years time and you'll be with me in yeah. paradise. It's yeah. today. Um, the other one is, I think, in Revelation chapter 6. Uh, and again, it's... it's um, imagery there but but part of the imagery seems to be that there'll be people with jesus uh, he, the, the souls under the altar is what i'm thinking about in yeah, revelation yeah, yeah. six yeah. Uh, who are actually yearning for jesus mm. return when jesus will then put all things right and, and they cry out how long O oh lord will it be until you kind of return and, and make all right and um, it seems to imply that there will be people with jesus who are well aware conscious uh, but not but more of a soul uh, state rather than a embodied uh, state, which is what our ultimate hope is, which is resurrection, when those, when our souls will be clothed with our resurrection body. Mm. Uh, there's some other passages that we can point to. Uh, you can get into the weeds on 1 Corinthians 15. Um, I won't go right into that now, but I think um, broadly that's the way that I think about it. Um, I don't know if you've got anything to add, Lachlan. No, look, I agree with you. Uh, Philippians 1 is another place where Paul say, I long to depart and be with Christ. Yeah. So certainly his hope is to be with Christ straight away. Yeah. I suppose that could still fit a soul sleep type thing. Yep. But you talk about um, the waiting for a new body. Mm. I think 2 Corinthians 5. Yeah. Paul goes there as well. Longing to be clothed. Yeah. In that kind of way. Yeah. Yep. So there's a couple of places you yeah. could go. And I think that fits with what we see in the Old Testament of 
kind of the expectation of life beyond death, this yep. generally sleepy place. Mm. Not much is happening there, mm. particularly. It's still a waiting period. Yep. But for Christians now, it'll be a good thing. And be with so, Jesus and uh, yeah. in his precious care. Yeah. Yeah. But post uh, judgment, you know, we're looking forward to the new creation. Totally. So a resurrection doesn't exist body, yet. a new creation, a, a wondrous, incredible place that we're, we're very much looking forward to. Mm. Mm. Yeah, wonderful. So, look, let's move to talk about some of the implications of all of this. You, when you ran us through Matthew twenty-five, said, "Yep, uh, this particular expression of judgment is focusing on our fruitfulness mm. uh, as something that should be evident." Yep. Um, someone's asked because particularly in Matthew twenty-five, there was a, a a connection to the least of Jesus's brothers and sisters. Yep, and it seemed to be that. Um, Jesus was really concerned with how we treat fellow Christians. Mm. So someone's asked about that, you know, does that mean we should prioritise Christians over those who are not Christian? If we love non-Christians, are we not loving Jesus? Mm. Um, great question. Uh, does this mean we should prioritise Christians over non-Christians? I think yes is is the short answer. That doesn't mean we neglect non-Christians. So, so let me just say that right up front. But prioritise for Christians, yes, I think so. Mm. And, I, and let me give you a verse that I think points you in that direction. It's um, Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Um, Paul writes, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers, mm. or in the old translation, the household of God. Um, so that is, we're to do good to all, sure. But let's be especially towards those who are of the the family of believers they're they're our particular priority so mm. um yeah i think there's a there's a um a broad sense in which we are to love one another and, and it's interesting even in you know that famous bit john 13 um by this shall all people know that you are my disciples that you have what love not just love love one for the other um mm. that we that we love other christians that's the distinctive mark watching christians relate to each other is the very thing that jesus says will help people know that we are his disciples mm. it's not a generic love for everyone although we we do love everyone mm. but the p- particular love for christians is what we are to be marked by mm. so yes i think there is a priority there yeah yep nice yep and um, so flying on as well for those who consider themselves christians if they're not looking after other Christians, mm. would that mean they're not actually saved? Are they at risk, mm. I guess, of coming at this judgment and being cast out as the goats? Mm. Um, that's worth thinking about, isn't it? We, like what, one way to think about it would be to think, uh, if we're talking, if we use the language of fruitfulness, I think that's helpful language. Um, uh, healthy, healthy trees bear fruit. Um, now, sometimes it's that the, the tree is sick that it doesn't bear fruit. Other times it's because the tree is dead that mm. it doesn't bear fruit. Mm. But a healthy tree should be bearing fruit. What kind of fruit is the Christian tree? You and me. What, what are we to bear? I think it's the fruit of love for others. Mm. Um, so I'd be asking, if there's no fruit, if there's no love for other Christians, it's either very sick or it's dead. Mm. And so, Yeah. So that would be one way to think about it. Um, but to put some biblical shape on that, um, one John four and five helpful to get to, I think. Um, yeah, kind of flows through all of one John, doesn't it? You could yeah. Read the whole letter and get a good sense of this. Yeah, I mean one John four. You go to a wedding, that's where you get one John four. Mm. But it's just, it's about a lot more than married love, I think. Yeah. Um, it's uh, you know, um, 
if if uh, give me a verse here, mate. What am I looking at? I've lost my uh, thing. Depends where you Nine, Nineteen twenty. Um, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they claim, whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they've not seen. Mm. And he has given us this command: anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So it's quite. Mm. It's quite strong language, isn't it? If if you if you say you love God, you must love your brother and sister. Yeah. And so if you if you're not loving your brother and sister, it's worth asking, like, yeah, is the love of the Father in you? Mm. Um, that, that's a good diagnostic question to mm. ask. Sometimes it's worth saying we're not the best judge of that. Um, you know, our own mm. we, we can deceive ourselves. Sometimes we we don't see ourselves as clearly as we might like. So it's good to have a friend. It's good to have a growth group. It's good to have people, and you can say to them, "How do you think I'm going at this?" There's a good way to be vulnerable with a Christian brother or sister this week. Ask them, hey, as you look at my life, what evidence of loving others can you see? Help, mm. help me help me work on this because I, I want the love of the Father to be, be expressed. Mm. Mm. James would pick up a similar theme, wouldn't it? That, you know, there's, there's a living faith yep. that is displayed in practical right. love for one another, not just loving in yeah. word and speech, but yeah. in deed and in truth. That's exactly right. Um, so there is something that we're really called for here yep but if we come back to fruit right i always love that illustration because i go you, you don't make an apple tree by sticking apples on the onto tree. A tree no that's right yeah so we don't come away from this and go oh all right i've got to go out love. there and just work really hard to yep. add this love no it, it flows as fruit from our heart that loves christ that's right and so if this is something that you're feeling like i don't know where i'm at on this mm. come back and look at christ mm. look at christ on the cross as one john says it's his love that then flows through us that's right uh, and and you're not doing this on your own. Mm. I think that's something I've kept reflecting on as I've gone on in the Christian life is how hard it can be to bring about the kind of change when we get convicted from Scripture, just doing that on our own because yeah. we're part of a culture. Yep. We're part of a community. Uh, and I know I struggle when I feel the conviction. If it's not something that I'm seeing others do, it makes me go, oh, have I got this wrong? Like mm. how can we be a community that is growing in this together? Yep. Um seeing those examples of love that we can then imitate and live into. Yep. Yeah. That's helpful. Um, on the same theme, again, if a non-Christian shows love to a Christian, does that mean they're loving Jesus? Huh. Um, I, I don't I don't think so. Um, and, and I think this kind of comes back a little bit to what you were just saying there. You know, keep with that tree illustration. You don't make a, an apple tree by sticking apples onto a rose bush. Mm. Um, it doesn't make it an apple tree. So... You know, and I think I said on Sunday is the implication here: just find a Christian, be really nice <laughs> to them, and hope for the best. You know, fingers crossed, I'll, yeah. I'll make it into the kingdom of heaven. I don't, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. Um, and in fact, I think likewise, sticking with that one John passage, it, it begins with "We love because He first loved us." One John four nineteen. That's mm. where it all begins. Mm. So it's got to be the love of the Father on us, for us. Uh, it's got to be that we've received that kingdom, uh, Matthew 25, verse 34, that we've been blessed by the Father. That's where salvation begins, with God's love for us, with Jesus' forgiveness, grace, dying on the cross, all that stuff, experiencing his love, which then so changes and transforms that we begin to do this stuff without even realizing it. This is just, mm. it's so changed us from the inside out that we've been literally born again, mm. and we now love. That's just the, that's just we're now an apple tree. We just mm. we grow apples. Mm. That's just what happens. We're, we're now a Christian. We just grow love. That's what that's what how it should be. Mm. 
so no, I don't think it's the other way around. That I, I've not been born again, but I'm loving some Christians and therefore I'm loving Jesus and I'm going to be okay. Don't, yeah. please don't hear me say that because you won't yeah. be. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Nice. Uh, so what's the scope of this then? We're Christian, we're bearing fruit. Um, am I looking to my local church family to show this kind of love or yep. should I be thinking about the global yeah. church? What's the scope? That's a, that's a really complex thing to think about, I think. Um, I think there's probably two principles here. One is um, thinking through the fact that um, we are finite creatures, so we, we can't be everywhere all at once, and we're not God. So, so you can't actually love everyone and look after all their needs. You just don't have the resources mm. and ability to do that. You are a finite creature. Mm. Part of your finiteness is that you can only be in one place at any one time. So in terms of like you yourself, like feeding someone or clothing someone or like giving them a drink, like that's something you're going to do where you are. So I think we begin there. That, that, so, so, and, and if, you, if, if this is all kind of new thinking for you, start there. Mm. <laughs> start with the people who are totally around you. But at the same time, there's all these examples of the New Testament church starting to care for Christians who are beyond their local area. So, you know, you, you read the story of the, the collection for God's people that Paul picks up in, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, um, also in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And, and actually Paul is there gathering up both money and resources from the Christians all around the bottom of Turkey and Greece. And he's planning to take them back to Jerusalem where there is at that point a famine. Um, and uh, even though they don't know each other, they are able to share resources and, and they are able to overflow with love even beyond their local area. Mm. And so in that sense, um, there's a finitude to it still in that they they can't themselves all go over to Jerusalem and cook them bacon and eggs and go, hey, mm. we're here. Mm. Um, they have to entrust their resources to trusted people who mm. can then manage the care for the Christians in that area, which in that instance is Paul and his buddies as they're traveling back. Mm. Um, so, but yeah, so yeah, I think our, our hearts, when they are transformed, we will feel um, a desire to care for God's people everywhere and uh, we'll be sacrificial to that end, even if we ourselves can't jump on a plane ourselves and be there, we will we will have a heart for those things. Um, so does that help? I think it does. I think yeah. it does. So uh, both and, but yes. You know, what opportunity do you actually have? Yeah, how that's far right. Can you extend yourself. Yep. And if you ha- if if all of this is new to you, start where you are. Mm. Get going here mm. and now. You got someone in your growth group. You got someone in your church family. Love them. Mm. Get amongst it. Um, mm. As God grows you, and you, the more you gaze on Jesus and and enjoy His love for you, God will grow a heart in you to even care about people beyond your growth group, beyond mm. your church. That you're mm. going to start thinking, oh, you know, I, I hear about what's going on overseas somewhere, and there's some Christians over there with a need, and mm. I want to love, I want to help. Off, I'm going to send, or maybe I'll even go. You know, like, yeah, yeah. Who knows? yeah. Well, there might be opportunities, for, yeah. So that starting point, I think, as well in this question, um, there are opportunities where Christians visit from somewhere else. Ooh, you have opportunity yeah. to love them as they come in, as whether that's by. Yep. Putting them up for a night or picking them up yep. from the airport station, yep. you know, all those sorts of things. I heard a story on the weekend, actually, about uh, some Christians from our church who, uh, when one of our mission partners is about to leave, they've said to them, don't you worry about cleaning up the unit after the lease is over. 
um, you guys get on the plane and think about God's work, we'll roll in and mm. uh, clean your uniform. Mm. And they don't even really know the missions that well. They've mm. just, the growth group has adopted the, the missionary partners as their partner yeah. and that's their way of loving. Now that's yeah. pretty awesome, isn't yeah. it? It's not because yeah. they're best buddies that they're going to clean the apartment. They're just like, hey, you go and we'll love you. Yeah. That's nice. cool. Yeah. Nice. Look, that leads into the last question and might be good to give lots more practical examples perhaps. Someone's asked, to what extent are we to love and become part of someone else's life. Mm-hmm. What if we feel like we get too deeply engrossed in someone's life and it is taking a toll on us? To what extent? Um, oh, um, <laughs> where do I start, Lachlan? Um, it, to what extent does does God love us? Mm. I think that's the place to mm. begin. Mm. Um, does God say... Oh, Sam's sin is just a little bit much because it is. Um, I I can't die for him. That's going to cost a bit too much. Mm. Like, and I'm being a bit facetious there, but God doesn't think that way. God lays down His life, and that's actually the language that we then have on us. That that we that we lay down our lives for our brothers. That husbands mm. would lay down their lives for their mm. wives. That because the chief shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. Mm. That that's that's the language, and and in that is implicit right in laying down your life that's costly that's Mm. sacrificial that's difficult um so i think we've got to like recognize that being a christian is what is the language jesus uses he says take up your cross and follow me that that's a costly painful exercise um so i want to say get ready for some cost pain Mm. At the same time, sometimes a question like this comes because somebody has a particular friend who has has real significant needs and they feel like they're the only one bearing them and it's becoming a bit of a a, a crushing burden. Mm. Uh, And I want to say, if you're in that kind of situation, sometimes you you hear the first half of my answer and you say, well, I've just got to keep doing it till I die. Mm. Um, And I want to say, you do probably have to keep in there, but you don't have to keep in there alone. Um, Mm. And maybe what we need to think about here is how do we have kind of webs of care around people? So it's not just you carrying everything for that person, but actually there's a bunch of people, a a body, a a family of God in the, in the true sense. Um, and that you work together in, in bearing that burden rather than you bearing it all on your own. Um, but yes, sometimes it'll take, take a cost. And if you are bearing the cost, call out you know then someone mm. can help bear your burdens mm. and care, mm. care for what you need as mm. you're caring for somebody else mm. yeah that's really helpful thanks sam um there's lots more that we could say in that connection i, I reckon uh and if you're in that kind of situation where you're feeling overwhelmed do reach out mm. do reach out and chat and we can work with you to figure out kind of that circle of support and care mm. um Coming back to the first half of the answer, I guess one way of putting that is love will always take a toll. It will, yeah. There's always a, a cost there. Yeah. It's always some sort of denial of self. It is. I think the, the very heart of love is a choice to put someone else's needs ahead of your own. Mm. Um, that's, that's what makes it love, um, mm. that, that you care for their needs, not yours. Um, mm. Yeah. I think you gave some more examples of what that might look like in the sermon. Did any of those just to land this practically again is there anything you want to bring up there yeah it's it's a multifaceted thing and um yeah it can be a a mix of things from just being present listening um it can be very practical it might be collecting picking up somebody you Mm. know it might be cleaning organizing helping um all, all kinds of things this this can ultimately look like 
Um, and really, it's, it's about knowing a particular person and what needs do they have and thinking, well, how can I meet those? Um, mm. That will inevitably be costly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, a couple of books come to mind on this topic that have been helpful for me. Um, I, I don't know if you've read, Sam, Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosario Butterfield. I haven't. I've heard of this book. It came and, out a uh, few years ago. Yeah. Uh, there's some wonderful examples in there. I mean, she's picking up on hospitality, which mm. I think is part of what Tied up Jesus with some is of this. talking about in Matthew yep. 25. Yep. But, you know, the, the title is provocative. The gospel comes with a house key. If I'm going to be a Christian with my house, yeah, then... open it up. Yeah, people yep. will have access to yep. come in and to be fed. Yeah. Um, she comes from a particular church tradition, but that brings me back to how are we doing this as a community? What kind of culture are we setting that encourages and shapes yep. that? Um, Francis Chan wrote Crazy Love mm. back in the day. Yeah, I think Francis has gone off the rails a little bit in these more recent years. But that was a pretty substantial book, I found, for helping me think about mm. what a loving community could look like. Mm. Uh, he reflects on seeing a new convert come into the church who had just read the Bible and kind of had a picture of what church life should be like and then they turned up at church and went, this do isn't they, it. Do they love each other? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah in that right. story, he'd come from a bikey gang and he's like, no, the bikey gang does this much better. I know they've got my back. Yeah. I'm in this, like... These people aren't opening up to me. They're not sharing life with me. Interesting. Um, so there was an example that I found quite striking. Yeah. Uh, so there's a couple of books. Uh, Tim Chester has one on meals with Jesus as well, just talking about the place of the dining table mm. as a place where we provide for and open up life together and share. Yeah. Um, so I found those books helpful in thinking about what fruitfulness might look like, kind of expanding my imagination. Uh, that's a phrase that has stood out to me in these things. Moral imagination. What can we picture yeah. as possibilities i love it um so you might benefit from reading something in that regard as well as you think about and seek to grow in this fruit i've always got a good recommendation for a book like that's why you're the maturity <laughs> pastor right? you read all the books i, love I do like to read i do like to read i've got my books for holidays already teed up ready to go good so on you looking forward to growing some more yeah um, sam thanks for your time pleasure Guys, I hope you've enjoyed listening along uh, as we've wrestled with the Gospel of Matthew and seen Jesus' kingdom collide with the world's kingdoms. Uh, we'll come back to Matthew at St. Paul's next year around Easter Running time. Running up to Easter, we're going to hit the death and resurrection of That's Jesus. right. That's the plan. That's yeah. the plan. Uh, yep. But this coming Sunday, we kick off our vision month throughout November where we'll be looking at the start of the Book of Acts uh, and seeing the Gospel vision that shaped the early church and thinking about how that can continue to inspire and encourage us as we continue to be involved in Jesus' mission in the world. So we hope to see you this Sunday, whatever this Sunday might be for you as you listen along. Uh, you're always welcome here at St. Paul's. Uh, see you then. See you later.